The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You didn't belong at NC State, man. You belong right <laughs> there. Welcome back to the ND on NBC podcast. I am Jack Collinsworth, and there was no football this weekend. Wake Forest Notre Dame was postponed. You go ahead and double up the bye week, which is a great thing to do if you're trying to let the numbers fall right back down. And from what I understand, that's what's happening. Hope it continues. want to play two interviews for you today. One is with Nick McLeod, who called coming to Notre Dame a business decision. And from everybody I've talked to inside the program, it sounds like he has been businessman-like from day one, handles his business, studies hard, works hard, instantly clicked with the culture of this program. They have really enjoyed having Nick McLeod in South Bend. And I think you might hear through the course of this interview some of the reasons why. So here he is, Notre Dame starting corner, Nick McLeod. So our next guest is a grad transfer from NC State. He's number four on the back of his jersey for those following along, now a starting quarterback for Notre Dame. Nick, how hard was it to decide that you wanted to transfer? What went into that decision for you? Oh, man, that was a lot. What a lot of people don't know, that was definitely rough. Um, just just being in Raleigh for four years, um, being a captain of the team, um, just having so much invested um, in the city and in the team, it was it was definitely a rough decision just to just to leave like that. But I feel like um, you know what I'm saying I'm thankful for everything that NC State gave me. Um, still thankful, you know what I'm saying. I got a degree, got made lifelong friends and everything. But it was just, I guess, a business decision for me to, uh, to come to the University of Notre Dame. So, and I'm grateful for that as well. So, so when you looked around and, and the possibilities at the other schools that you may go to. What was out there for you? Um, well, I talked to Notre Dame. Um, I was building a good relationship with uh, with Pitt, um, UVA. Actually, uh, talked to South Florida um, for a little bit. Um, talked to Ohio State for a little bit, but it really, I really didn't uh, talk to them as much as the other schools. But those was just like some. And then I talked to a lot of other schools, but those were the ones that that really um, stuck out to me. So. And then when it ultimately came down to it, why, why did you pick Notre Dame? What, what about the university specifically? It was like, ah, that's it. Yeah, um, so just me personally, like just the tradition um, and the program that Notre Dame is, like that was that was the biggest thing that I was really looking for when I was looking for a new home to, to, to kind of get to, um, just somewhere where my goals met, like the program's goals and the individuals on the team's goals. So that along with just – Connections to the program that I had. Um, I was really, really close with Troy Pride. I was close with Houston before I got here, and then Jeff Burris as well. So, 
just their insight and their their feelings as a player, how they felt about the university, that that, that probably pushed it over the top. So, Yeah. How, how would you describe what it was like to put on that golden helmet oh, and run out of that tunnel into Notre Dame Stadium for the first time? Um, um, so we, we put on the gold helmets, like, I want to say Thursday for the first time, and I think that's when it really hit me, like, like wow, I'm really I'm really here. Like, so, I mean, it's just, it's, I can't really describe it. It's just, it's just a different feeling, though. Just describe for me what it's like playing in, you know, 15% capacity, 20% capacity, whatever the stadium is. When you run out there, what's the feeling inside of that new look? I mean, well, I think the great thing for us is that um, we, we have our students in there. So the energy wasn't really that much far off, if you ask me. Hmm. But I think the biggest, the biggest thing um, for playing with less fans and potentially playing with no fans at the other places we go is that, like, we're going to have to bring our own energy. And I think that defensively, like, we did a great job of that on Saturday. Regardless of how many fans we understand, I feel like we, we brought a lot of energy defensively. So I hope we can we're definitely going to have to carry that over for the rest of the season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, You got to take me back, too. So what, what was life like growing up in Rock Hill, South Carolina? Yeah. Um, actually, um, I grew up from – until the sixth grade, I was in Lancaster, South Carolina. So when I moved to Rock Hill, I was kind of like an outsider, but – I already knew like how much football meant to that city because, like I said, my dad had been coaching at South Point from the time it opened. So, just me stepping up to that to that um, that level of play and just being a part of of that great tradition, like specifically at South Point and then Rock Hill in general, it's just it taught me how to be like a winner. It taught me how to be a leader. So, coming from South Point. To um to Notre Dame, it really is really not that much of a uh, a difference because I'm really expecting to win every game that we that we go out there and play. So that definitely benefited me growing up in Rock Hill. So you're used to being the the new guy a little bit. Yeah. How did that benefit you in round two here? Um, I feel like it benefited me because like I feel like people people are gonna flock to you if you handle your business and you and you do it with great class. So I think just for me having to do that, move it to Rock Hill, and then do it again when I moved here, just it really made the transition a lot easier. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, you know, Wusu Koromoa just immediately said that he's like Nick McLeod. That's one of my brothers. He yeah. said that as soon as I brought up your name, he's like, it took it took two days before he became one of my best friends. Yeah, no, I definitely did. Yeah, take me through that from your perspective. Like when I got here, just just trying to trying to be a sponge of, of the culture and everything that was going around. So just not having, like, not coming in thinking you're too big and, like, bigger than everybody else around you or, or you don't belong as well. That's that's a big thing as well. So just coming in and just being a professional about it, like, I feel like people, like, we all flock to each other when, you know what I'm saying, when I came in and did that. So, so you heard McLeod call it a business decision to come to Notre Dame, and it's a hard thing to do, enter the program in your first year, take over a starting position and then have success as you're trying to learn and make friends and enter into the curriculum and all the things simultaneously, that's hard. And you throw coronavirus on top of it, then it's really hard. So what McLeod has been able to do so far, Sean Crawford moves to safety. They had to have another corner come in and do something, and he has done just that. Speaking of coming in and doing something, Corey Robinson, 
is one of the most unique football minds that you're ever going to hear from. Well-rounded football minds. And his experience playing with Jalen Smith and Zach Martin and the evolution that he has seen in Brian Kelly's personality and leadership style over the years is something worth hearing. So I sent him a text and he said, can I drink my coffee during the show? I said, I'll pick up a coffee too. I'll send you 18 coffees to your New York apartment. I even get you a Starbucks card if it means us getting you on the show. Uh, So we did all the above. And Corey popped on and was supposed to talk for 15 minutes. And I think we talked for about an hour. So I cut it back down. I think you'll really enjoy hearing from C-Rob. So how did you grow up in such a basketball family and wind up playing football at Notre Dame? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. My younger brother was a captain at Duke, right? And uh, my dad was a Hall of Famer for the San Antonio Spurs. So that's a question I ask myself every day. But it it ended up being uh, because my older brother, David Jr., he played uh, football in high school. And I had never really gone to the same high school or really school as my older brother. And, you know, he's my older brother. I look up to him. So I said, okay, I want to play a sport with you. I want to be on the same team. So he said, okay, come out to football tryouts. And my freshman year in high school, I show up to football tryouts and he doesn't come. So I'm stuck. <laughs> and I could like, cause I can't quit football because I couldn't play the next season, which was basketball. So I actually had to play football in order to play basketball, but my brother played a trick on me and I ended up just taking his number, number 88 and the rest was history. Why didn't he come to the tryout? And I, I don't know. I still ask him that question all the time. I'm like, why did you stand me up? You're my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was what was the Robinson upbringing like then? Like, what, what, how did you guys? Because I'm always trying to figure out how you guys became such normal, kind, down to earth people with the unique circumstances that you were raised in. Well, I think. Uh, well, thank you. First and foremost, wow, what a compliment. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up in South Texas, I think that was a big part of it. You know, it's a small market. I think if we were basketball kids in a big city it probably would have been harder I guess Hmm. but yeah you know we're a really close-knit family and we just kind of keep it real my dad's from a military family both my grandparents served in the military so we just it's just all about you know family and and service and duty man and it's just love of the game for us so that's kind of I think how we kept it as normal as you can you know yeah and so was it true that your dad was like when he got to school he was like six foot something and he grew seven foot while he was yeah, he grew, I think, like seven inches or something. His freshman year, he was six, seven, six, eight. And then he was uh, boxing. I guess the story goes that he was, you know, you had, to, you had to take, I guess, boxing classes at the Naval Academy. I don't know what was happening in the 80s. And, and he broke his hand when he was punching someone. So and then when he got, he went to the doctor and they looked at his, uh, his x-rays, they found that his growth plate was still open. So they're like, you're not done growing, man. You got another, I don't know how many inches. And then six inches later, he was a seven footer. It's funny. I always like half expected you while you were at Notre Dame to go from like six four to like six nine and then join the basketball team. I just always <laughs> thought that was a possibility. Never quite happening. Or if I was LeBron, I just kept playing football and I was just six nine. <laughs> yeah. so, so when you think back on your time at Notre Dame, what are you most proud of? Well, yeah. Um can I tell you a couple of stories? Maybe that's like the only way I can kind of articulate it. I love it. So um, you know, I had a super unique experience at Notre Dame and for instance, you know, I remember when I was running for student body president, me and Scott Daly, Deshaun Kaiser, Romeo Quar, some of the guys on the team, we uh, they were on my campaign team. So we would go and knock on dorms. So I, but this was during sp- like spring ball and, and winter conditioning. So I remember we'd wake up at like six in the morning. We'd go get a workout in. Then I go to class all day. I would like build the website and work with our team on our platform. And then I would like hand out flyers at lunch, work again until like six. And then I would 
go to every dorm on campus and just spend six hours, six plus hours knocking on doors and doing this elevator pitch for 60 seconds, talking to hundreds of students. And I did that every day for like three weeks. And there was one moment in particular where it was like maybe one or two in the morning and me and Scott Daly were going back to our cars to, to drive back to our apartment. And, uh, and I saw the dome glisten and I was like, dude, Scott, like we're running for student body president. We both play on the football team here. <laughs> like there's the dome looking beautiful. This is what Notre Dame's about. Right. Okay. So, so when did you first go? Yeah. I'm going to run for student body president. Well, I met, uh, I met my vice president, Becca Blaze, who then became student body president the year after. Um, she came to me and said, hey, you know, do you want to be president? I think we could run on a ticket. And this was my junior year, the season when we went to the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. And I was like, not really, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> I have no desire. I was in student government before I was the athletics rep. I was the vice president of SAC, Student Athlete Advisory Committee Council at the time, which is like athlete version of student government. Yep. And I was like, no, nah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of straight. Like, I'm cool. Like, I just want to, I just want to play ball and just like move on, you know? Uh, and then after the season, I was out in LA and I was just kind of like thinking through um, my time at Notre Dame. And, and I just felt like there was something unfinished. You know, I just felt like I, I, I still had more to give the university because I love the university. It's given me everything. So I was like, I, there's still something left that I can give. So that's when I decided I called her up and I said, OK, look, you know, I don't know how much time we have. I think the election's in a month, but uh, I actually do want to run with you. I think this would be a great way to serve our community. So we spent like the next week just building a, a team and a platform and then we hit the ground running and then we ended up winning, which was which was really, really cool. It was. It was so cool. And like even when I was sitting there as a student, we're in the same grade, which I think sometimes I forget. Like I feel like you're like two years older than me for some reason. I think it's because I know your brother. It's probably that, too. Uh, but I can remember sitting there in class and like getting a tweet or a text or forget an email, whatever it was like Corey Robinson's now the student body president. I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. I just didn't even know you could do it. I didn't know you could be on the football team and you could be the student body president. I didn't even know it was possible. All right, I want to get to BK, to Brian Kelly. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I've just seen him evolve over the years. Like he's grown so much as a coach and he's grown as a leader. How have you seen that from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, I love coach Kelly. Um, He's been really good to me over the past few years. But yeah, I mean, I remember my freshman year, uh, he like, I, I don't I, I think when I saw that one video was that one video, the uh, the USF video. Was that the video where, yeah. you know, where he's yelling? And that was like my my first experience. Like I was looking at, you know, like, you know, YouTube and I was YouTubing all the coaches and stuff. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, he looks pretty animated on the sideline. But he's he's just, you know, great, in my opinion, because he he's really learned to uh, to be more of a player's coach, I think, over the years. You know, uh, like I have a great relationship with him. And I think my relationship with him kind of went to the next level when I became a coach. Um, and, and I actually got to see behind the scenes and I got to like he would take me over and say, OK, you got to uh, coach EQ this way. Or did you see the way that Miles Boykin ran this route? This is what you need to teach him. And that was like a whole new world for me. So I think that he's uh, done a really good job over the years of kind of transitioning more into like a player's coach. Cause you see the way that he is with Dalen, you know, like during that uh, Juneteenth March, uh, he wasn't like that one, my freshman year, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that just comes with time. And, and, uh, and I, I've just really been impressed with what he's built over there. So uh, every year with the Kelly cares events in New York, I mean, you look at the roster, like Stefan to it goes, I, you know, DK goes like we all kind of fly out to support coach. And I think that speaks volume about you know, how we feel about it. And Corey, you mentioned when you became a coach, take us behind the curtain a little bit. How did that happen? I don't know. 
<laughs> Coach Kelly comes to you and he's like, Corey, I, I think you we may want you on staff here. Like, what, how, how the hell does that happen? I, well, I was like, you know, I, I don't even know where, like, you know, I was mostly when I was on campus and playing ball. Like, I was cool with, like, the training staff. I was cool with, like, the GAs and, like, all, like, you know, behind the scenes people on the team anyways, the equipment staff. So I felt like I was always part of the staff anyways. But, uh, yeah, basically when I had my concussions and I decided not to come back and play my senior year, um, I asked Coach Kelly, I was like, look, I still want to be involved in the team. You know, this is a, this is a really big part of my life, and I love, these guys. I love the guys. I just want to be there. Is there any way I can be there? And he said, yeah, like, you know, you can be uh, like a student assistant coach, which is basically like, you know, an undergraduate GA, if you will. And I got to work with Coach Denbrock, who um, – was like awesome because he coached me and then I got to be in the room with him, you know, and he like took me under his his wing and coach Kelly took me under his wing and I would be on the sideline and I was in charge of like substitutions and I was in charge of like getting people ready to go and making sure that they were, you know, good to go for the game. I I had a lot of responsibility on game day. Um, And I actually had the headset so I could hear everyone. I could hear he I could hear Kelly. I could hear Denbrock. I mean, I could hear everybody and I could hear them play call. And I'd never seen like their side of it because I was always on the on the sideline, just kind of waiting, like seeing what was happening. Like, why is it this call happening now, or why is that personnel on the field now? I'd never known. But then once you get the headset on, you hear the coaches kind of negotiating and talking to each other and on the same page or lobbying for whatever. That was an unbelievable ex- education for me, man. I learned a lot about football. I see. I've always wondered about that because I I remember you did get the headset. I was jealous as hell. I was like. <laughs> he's got the headset i've always wanted to know what it's like when you have the headset so yeah how, dude it's cool how does it work is is bk basically just like the ultimate hammer where he can like so basically everyone's throwing out an idea i said we run right slam here i said we run bootleg pass to the right and then bk is the deciding factor how does it actually work on a headset well i mean this was a couple of years ago man so i mean might be outdated these days but like at least the way that i remember it you know i think it was more like uh everyone's on the same page, you know, because like you build the game plan together. But I do think that there was like a lot of uh, trust, you know, if like Denbrock wanted to run something, it's like, no, I talked to DK or I talked to Ian and this is what is good and this is what we're seeing, then yeah, everyone's good for it, you know. But I do think there were certain moments where it's like, no, we're going to go for fourth down and that's, you know, that's Coach Kelly's call, you know. So So there is a little bit of that effect. Okay, how about when you think back on your time at Notre Dame, who was just the best football player? (laughs) <laughs> the greatest Jalen Smith. Smith. What was it like just to watch that guy day to day at practice? Jalen Smith and uh, Q, like Q. Oh my gosh. Like both Quick those down. guys, like, cause the thing you have to understand, Jack is once you play at this level, like you want to know who's good on the team, ask the players, don't ask the coaches, ask the players. And then like everyone knew the moment Jalen Smith stepped on the field, like as a freshman, Everyone said he's NFL first round. It's not even a question. Like, he was better than everyone. He was transcendent the first time he got on the field. Q, the first time he, like, stepped on the field, everyone was like, that guy is the best player on the team. Like, there's like there's probably the only three or four people that I've ever played with that you immediately know first round. And both of those are top of the list. Yeah, I mean, those guys, Zach Martin. was. I think Zach Martin was the best football player I've ever played with as far as, like, all around, like, talent and leadership. Because, like, Zach, I remember being a, a freshman scared out of my mind. You know, like, I was ballsy in the sense of, like, I wanted to go play and I was going to make plays. But, like, I had no idea what I was doing. This is Notre Dame. You know, I just finished playing, like, private school football in Texas, you know, and now yeah. I'm playing Michigan. 
you know, like it's a different level. And uh, I remember being in the huddle and like Tommy Reese is there and Zach Martin's there. And Zach was the coolest guy ever. No matter what the situation was, it could be third and 50, you know, uh, the game could be on the line and Zach would just come like stone cold. He was like exuding confidence. And that's when I learned my first like masterclass in leadership. It's like, if you want to be the captain, if you want to be the guy, you got to be able to take the challenge and head like go right into the fire and make everyone else feel like you know exactly what you're doing. Zach is by far the best overall football player I've ever played with. Wow. I got chills when you said that. That's that's really sweet. Cause I've I've heard so many people say that when when you were in the huddle with Zach Martin, you just felt like you were going 80 yards for a touchdown. Like yeah. was he vocal or was it he wasn't even vocal? It was just no, like, it just I mean, because he it's it's kind of like what I imagine like being in the huddle with like Tom Brady. It's like you know you have Tom Brady on your team, you know? And that's kind of like what Zach Martin was like. He's not like he's not one of those guys who's a rah-rah kind of guy. Like he is at least when I was playing with him, like he'll tell you like, this is what we need to do. And like, let's go, let's go get it guys. But it's much more of a presence thing. It's much more like we got Zach, like let's ride, you know, it's it yeah. was much more of a presence thing. It's pretty amazing. And so what, what do you think is stopping? What's the biggest factor stopping Notre Dame from beating, you know, they're competing with, but from beating that top shelf of college football. Well, when I look at the team the past two years, I think it's a different culture. And you've seen that, like, you know, you've reported very heavily on that, right? Like, it's a different team. When I was there, we still had a lot, like my freshman, sophomore year, we, we had like some issues, I think, as far as like a team culture. We were we we're in the mix, but we, we weren't championship mentally. You know, we weren't there. Um, and then now I see these guys and this is like, I think they've taken it almost to a whole new level as far as like, what does it mean to be a Notre Dame football guy? And what does it mean to care and love about each other? Like love each other really and go out there and play for each other. Cause I think that's what it takes. Like, I think that's what it's like being a football player for Clemson or Alabama is like, right. Where, you know, it's like, we can win a championship from day one and we feel that way. And we've been there and we have the scars to prove it. Like we had never really, at least in my time there, we got close, but we didn't really, no one really was there. They don't knew how to break through the wall. Right. Mm-hmm. So we would get there and then we would kind of like stumble and falter. Uh, but these guys like Ian's, he knows he knows what it takes to get to the next level. Um, so when you have leadership like that and everyone's bought in from top down, it's just a whole new level. So I think I think this year they're looking really good, man. And I, I have never been more confident in the guys. I'm just super stoked for them. I did. So it's, it's also a very different looking Notre Dame team like Tommy Reese has really bought in on the idea that the best version of Notre Dame football plays within the trenches that you dominate with the offensive line and you have multiple tight ends in the game and you impose your will on defenses. You know I mean? It's like, it's got a little of like a Stanford feel to it. Like a, you know, like a John Harbaugh feel when he was with the 49ers. Like it's, it's that ground and pound, you know, freaking Rex Ryan, when he was coaching the jets, it yeah. has a little of that ground and pound. We're going to wear you down by the end of the game feel to it. And that's great. And they've been able to do that specifically against medium to bad teams. They can do that. They can wear them out. Now, when they get on the field with Georgia, can they do that to Georgia? That's the question. And historically, the answer to that has been no. And so, like, when I when I watch them play against the ACC, which I think is a great place for them to be this season, because it's a great matchup for Notre Dame. Because not only are they bigger than these ACC teams, they're more athletic than them. But now when they get into the SEC – all of a sudden, they're the same size as them physically. And then athleticism kicks in. And for the most part, it's at least close, if not SEC. The top teams in the SEC have a bit of an advantage. So then how do you strategically, you know, schematically 
be able to break that gap in the athleticism. Well, I don't think it's an athletic thing. You know, I think it's just a mentality thing. I think those teams that you're talking about, the SEC teams, they're dogs. You know what I'm saying? Like they are dogs. And I think that is a different mentality that we didn't necessarily have when I was playing there. Like we knew we were good, but I don't think we we thought we were like, you know, think about the swag of the the you back in the day. You know, we're like Mike Irvin, like those type of teams where they just walk in, they own the place. That is the type of confidence and swagger you need. And think about like the teams that we would play, like Michigan State and Stanford. Those were like big, big boys. You know what I'm saying? We those were always my favorite games because those were real football games. It's like you got to win in between, you know, uh, the lines here on the trenches. This is real dirt, mud, kind of like blood spit tears. This is real football. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. Those linemen aren't even wearing shirts. It's snowing outside. Like <laughs> this is this is the real deal. Like. It, this isn't pretty boy football. And so that's, that's what I've always loved about those games. And I think that we can play those games, but the thing is uh, we never had the mentality of like, we are dogs. And this team, the past two years, they, they're like, no, we're dogs and we're going to eat. You I agree with that. So yeah, I think see, that's I the difference. I, I do agree with that. And I don't, I don't mean that they're not as athletic, but like, I just mean when you look at the roster side by side, like in, against an ACC team, out of 11 compared to the 11 defenders, at least nine of Notre Dame's players are more athletic than theirs. And then when I watch Notre Dame go up against like a Georgia, you have guys that are of that caliber that are more athletic than a handful of those guys. But it's like Claypool, Komet. That's about it. You know what I mean? And then so that, that then you just have a swing of typically there's nine more athletic guys. Now maybe there's two or three more athletic mm-hmm. guys. And that's a hard adjustment to go make, especially when you've played nine games against the ACC, now jumping into the SEC. It's just so different. Like I used to have that conversation with Mark Rick, too. It's just it's just two different leagues. And you almost have to treat it and respect it as such. Um, okay, let's let's get into something else. Okay. Uh, wide receivers on this Notre Dame roster, it's really looked at as kind of a weakness uh, among this group. And they're young, and, and, you know, they're missing Kevin Austin. They're missing some guys. They – they get Skaronic to come over as a grad transfer from Northwestern. I thought he was going to wind up being a great player. Just some of the conversations you're having with Ian, with um, Tommy Reese, that sounded like he was clicking with the program. And then, of course, he has an injury, too. We'll see how it happens with all the weeks that they now have off. What's your initial impressions when you watch this wide receiver group and, and how it stacks up to some that you've seen? Yeah, like like I said, it's real football. They they are they're a group of guys who just want to get in the mix and make plays happen. And I like I, I cannot stress this enough. I, I like I'm old school, man. You know, like I'm if you're a receiver, you got to roll the sleeves up. You got to go crack a safety. If you're not, I don't want a receiver on my team who doesn't want to go crack a safety. You know what I'm saying? In the box. And everyone on that team is is just a dog. Uh, so Tommy Trimble, like I know he's a tight end, but like he has great hands as well. Counts. I, I'm with you. Count. you know what I'm saying. Yes. So from my perspective, I'm like, I like him as like the fullback slash tight end slash receiver. Like, I really like what he can bring to the table. Wilkins, you know, I think he's as far as IQ level, I think he's the smartest receiver on the team. And like, you know me, Jack, like I like smart players. Like I And he, that dude is smart. And you could tell, like he understands situations. That's my biggest thing about when you play at this level, because everyone is athletic. Everyone can play. But you got to know sticks. You got to know situations. You got to know like spacing on the field. If you're on a two minute situation, you got to know I need to get 12 on this on this uh, choice route because it might be third and 10. But I know they're sending a blitz and I know I'm going to come back to the quarterback. I have to get past the sticks. 
and I have to catch it within inches of going out of bounds just in case anything happens. I stop the clock. You know, like you gotta like you gotta think about that. And he's a player that thinks about that. So uh, and then Javon, man, he is just like, I love the way he blocks physically. I hope he gets more touches because he's a great you know, receiver in the red zone. He, needs he can go up and get it. Right. Why, why don't they like they're looking for anybody. They just need a couple of guys. I mean, they're going to play two tight ends all year. They got freaking baby yeah. Gronk and Tommy Tremble. Like those guys are going to be on the field no matter what. So they really just need a couple of guys two max three that they believe in. And McKinley, you're, you're talking about cracking safeties yeah. They put him on that short side of the field. And he's in there hitting linebackers sometimes and yeah. handling them. And if safety comes, God bless them. They're going to have a tough time in there. Uh, why not throw oh, the ball a little bit? Like, I think back, what was it, the New Mexico game last year where he broke an 85-yard touchdown run, broke about four tackles along the way? At least throw him the ball a little bit and see what he can do, right? Yeah, but the, the thing is, you know, I've been in that kind of same position where um, it's hard to build confidence. It's almost like um, – Gosh, I'm trying to think. It's almost like playing basketball and you're a shooter, but you know, you get two targets a, a game. Uh, yeah. and you don't when you do get the ball, you're not really like you're kind of hesitant when you, you know, shooting. It's like, well, you're a three-point shooter. We got you on the team to shoot threes. Like, why are you hesitant shooting threes? Like, this is this is the reason why you're here. Uh, it's same with the receiver. If you don't get targets, you don't build your confidence, and then you get one shot a game, and then you may, you know, drop the pass that you catch every day in practice. At that point, then your confidence spirals. And then you get less and less targets. So I think for for what those receivers, since a lot of them are kind of green in the sense of like they don't really have a lot of like, you know, like catches, you got to help build their confidence up. And the way to do that is just by throwing them simple routes, slants, unders, you know, like giving them a shot on like an early first and 10 and let them go make a play. You know, you don't what you don't want to do is say, hey, we need someone to bail us out. It's third and seven. And this is a critical drive or, you know, we need a play. Let's throw it to Javon. We haven't thrown to him in the past three weeks, but hey, let's see what happens. That would be a very bad decision. <laughs> exactly. No, you're right. And because you mentioned, you know, you came from Texas or, you know, playing private school football, whatever it is you said in Texas, to now you're on the field against Michigan. A lot of these guys have similar stories where their their most recent catches were playing on a high school football field. And from Tommy Reese's perspective, it may not be that big of a deal to go, you know, going from the practice field into Notre Dame Stadium. But for a 19-year-old kid, it is a big deal yeah, to, it's, it's to a grab up all those catches. So let's let's end it with this. Assuming we do get to the Clemson game, mm-hmm. in a hopeful scenario, I, I think we will. I don't even want to jinx it, but I'm knocking on wood. Assuming we get to the Clemson game, how does that matchup play out this year? Do you think this team can beat Clemson? Yes. What makes you say that? I'm a Notre Dame fan. <laughs> <laughs> like, do they, do they have enough? Do they have enough to score points with Trevor Lawrence? Oh man! Or do they yeah, need? Do you want to talk about the actual anal- you know, analysis, or do you just want to talk about Notre Dame fandom? <laughs> I, I just want to know, like, dude, because this gets us back to the original yeah. point about when they go to that top shelf. Like, they're great from like 15 through eight in the rankings. They can beat any of those teams, but then when they get from like six to one. That's where they have proven to have issues, specifically on the road. So what makes you think this team can go beat six through one? Yeah, I think, uh, like I said before, I think it's a mindset. I mean, we have the talent. You know, we, we can talk all day about our defense. I, I mean, I think, first of all, good. yeah, Hamilton, whoa, wow. So I just want to put that, like, he, I remember the first time I saw him when he was a freshman, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how good he was. 
I was thinking like he's one of those guys that I would put in those category where I was saying like a transcendent first time you watch him play, you're like that that dude is good. The first time I saw him play as a freshman, I was like, this guy is an NFL corner safety, like 100 percent I haven't seen many people like him. Um, he just has all the tools. But anyways, we can talk about the defense, the offense. You know, we look at our, that O line, just give him a little bit of time to get, you know, oiled up and greased up because one of the biggest weapons in, you know, in football is a great O line. And we have depth to boot. You know, we have experience to boot. And then you have a guy like Ian who can really uh, who's been there, done that and has shown that he can be a dual threat kind of quarterback. The only question is, do we have the offensive weapons to score points? I think that's the only question. And I think the running back game, we've seen that they can go off any given moment. We're going to need more from the receivers. We're going to need more threats because Clemson can just pack the box and say, well, we got A in the box. We dare you, dare you to throw it. And that's what we've been in some situations in the past. But thankfully, we had a guy like Will Fuller, you know, to kind of blow it up the top. So now the question is, who's going to step up and make a play and say, yeah, like you got to you got to be honest with us uh, or you know, Javon's going to score an 80 yard touchdown on you, or Tommy's going to kill you on a flag or whatever. We got to have those type of players step up in those games to make a, make a difference. But that to me is the only question. Can our receivers uh, keep the defense honest? It is. I, I think it's the biggest question of the season. And luckily Notre Dame has some time as that progresses. And that's the hope in the back of every hardcore Notre Dame fan that's seen this play out so many times the hope is that Kevin Austin is actually a star. And we don't really know yet. Like, we, you talk about the recruiting. I watched this guy's high school tape. He looks freaking awesome. I, he does. He looks awesome. in high school, man. Yeah, everyone does. But he's he's got the size to him and the speed combination. He's like a long strider that understands going up and getting it. So that makes me go, he could have Claypool potentials. But if he's hurt for nine weeks, is he really going to be at max potential by the time that Clemson game comes? Pretty hard to be. Uh, can Ben Skoranek get healthy in time? I'll tell you the other one. You mentioned the speed on the outside. Lindsey. Can Braden Lindsey become at least the Will Fuller? Can you fill the Will Fuller role of just making a safety think they got to go backwards first? Because I don't see any receivers right now that are stretching the defense backwards. And that's what's going to open up these you know crossing routes for Baby Gronk, for Tommy Tremble, and get them going. Who is going to be the speed option? When you play Clemson, you need a speed option. Uh, so those are all my well, – but, but think about this right here, Jack. Ready? This is just really quick. If you think about, like, the tools that we have, in my opinion, okay, look, like maybe you don't have a speed option, but you can eat them up underneath. And I think you have the, the type of leadership and veteran experience where you can do long drives. You can march down the field and maybe put together a, an 8, 12, 14 play drive. Um, where you do capitalize on outs and crosses and all that stuff. Nothing deep, but just all 14 yards and in. And then what? You take away their possession time. Our defense shuts them out. Next thing you know, you're in a position to win a game. Like Those are the type of like chess matches that I think we could win in the future. But if you get four shots you know, to have the ball and score, you got to score. And that's kind of the question is, like, can Ian put together those drives that say, look, we're going we're gonna to capitalize eight minutes of you know, the possession time and every time we touch the ball. We're just going to jam it down your throats. We're going to run the clock. We're going to score. And then you're going to have three chances to, to tie the game. So yeah. that, that I think, could work in our favor. If, if they can, in fact, jam it down Clemson's throat. If, and, that, and, that's, and that's what I'm saying. That's why it comes down to the O-line. Can you move people? And I think th- by that time, I think we will be able to, hopefully. Yeah. 
historically they can move people like like we're saying they move the whole ACC and they USF they move them right on back to South Florida like they they can always move those kind of teams can they move the big dogs and just the way Tommy Reese is calling plays it's just feeling like that collision course with Clemson is going to come down to you return all five offensive linemen your people are saying you got the best offensive line in the country great can they move the defensive front of Clemson and and that we will that we will find out. Corey, thanks for doing this, man. This has been fun. I told you it was be 20 minutes. I kept you for 45. It's just very classic stuff every time we have a conversation. It's been awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.